0: Hi, welcome to the Flaw Theology Podcast. I'm Phil.
1: And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know?
0: All right. Well, hey, everybody, we've arrived at the season one finale. Kind of hard to believe that this is our 15th episode, which is pretty crazy. We're just under 5,000 downloads. So Thanks, everybody who's joined us along the way.
1: Yeah, thank you. This has been amazing.
0: So, yeah, we're going to do something a little different for the season finale. We're going to do kind of a Q&A. We got a lot of cool questions from the community. But before we get into that, we kind of had a little, I don't know, would you say this is just like something that is stuck in your craw? And it's like, we got to talk about this because it's like, <laughs> yes. so it's so ridiculous.
1: <laughs> it's mind blowing.
0: Yeah. For those of you who don't know who William Lane Craig is, he's probably like, the biggest current christian apologist around
1: he's known for being quite reasonable he he's not like ken ham or ken Hovind where they are intentionally deceitful i think william lane craig is more reasonable
0: he has a show called reasonable faith where he takes questions from people and on july 18th he took a question from a a guy named kyle who sent in this question i'm going to read it it's kind of edited for for brevity because it was kind of a long question but he basically said christianity requires a lot of work to follow you have to orient your entire life around Jesus. Christianity is not just a set of propositions that one holds, but it's a faith practice, a way of life. With that in mind, shouldn't one require very high epistemic standards before one decides that they will dedicate their life to Christ? I mean, that's a fantastic question. Like It is. Yeah. It really, it's a question that probably every Christian should ask themselves, <laughs> and they should ask their leadership.
1: Right, I think a lot of Christians probably do think this, but yeah. they would never vocalize it.
0: Right, how did he answer? Like, does this is the crazy part. Like- <laughs> this
1: is the fun part. So I'm gonna be William Lane Craig. He said, when I first heard the message of the gospel as a non-Christian high school student, that my sins could be forgiven by God, that God loved me and that I could come to know him and experience eternal life with God, I thought to myself, if there is just one chance in a million that this is true, It's worth believing so far from raising the bar or the epistemic standard that christianity must meet to be believed i lower it i think that this is a message that is so wonderful so fantastic that if there's any evidence that it's true then it's worth believing in especially when you compare it to the alternatives like naturalism or atheism or other forms of life so what is this telling us about william lane craig's faith it's so
0: mind-boggling like
1: it's not based on evidence. No. It's based on what he wants to be true, what he finds hope and meaning in. Yeah. Not about what he finds convincing.
0: Yeah, it's it's confirmation bias like and he admits it. That's the crazy thing.
1: That's the crazy thing is that he admitted this. <laughs> he and, just
0: admitted it like
1: the atheist YouTube channels that picked it up kind of exploded it. It was apology. I think that first picked it up. Yes. And then myth vision then myth picked vision. it up after that. Yeah. And that's how I heard about it. And I was like, wow, well, we got to talk about this on the podcast because it's not every day that an apologist comes out and readily admits that they are lowering their epistemic standards right. to believe something because they want to believe it so badly.
0: Yeah. And, and the thing that's really crazy about it is like, I could see, okay, if there's maybe your run of the mill Christian, that's like, well, you know, I know there's some problems with, you know, the logic and reasoning, but you know, the overall message is just so great that like I really want it to be true and so I'm going to believe it. I can't see William Lane Craig, whose whole identity is wrapped up in logic and reason and evidence and proof and all that stuff, saying, "Oh, well, if it's only one in a million chance, he's resting yeah. his eternal destiny on a one in a million chance." Yeah. And he said if, he didn't even say there is he said, if there's a one in a million chance.
1: I think he would say there is more than one in a million. But the fact that he is admitting what his motivations are means that he's not a Christian because he finds the evidence or the arguments convincing. Right. He's a Christian just because he thinks it sounds good. And then he's contorting and adopting arguments that he might not ordinarily yeah. in order to preserve that worldview and to promote that worldview.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: Another thing to mention is that he talks about how great his experience is being a Christian. It fills him with hope and wonder and right. love, but not everybody has that experience. I mean, we talk to people every day right. who come out of the church with trauma. Right. Try telling them that they should believe it if there's a one in a million chance. Is it worth it to them? I, I don't think so.
0: Right, no. Yeah, not everyone has that same experience. And honestly, even if you did have the same have the same exact experience, it's still not a real good justification. Right. Because then again, you're still basing it all on on your experience and your feelings. Yeah. Which is the direct opposite of what Christianity tells its followers is that your feelings are fickle. You can't trust them. You have to trust in the inerrant, infallible word of God because it's right.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a child wanting so badly to believe in Santa Claus because Santa Claus brings you presents and is nice and jolly. And and so you believe it just because if there's a one in a million chance that Santa is real, it's worth believing. That doesn't make Santa any more real.
0: Right. There's no real reason that we wanted to talk about this except for that it's just so wild. But if you want to dig deeper into this, we'll post the links to the uh reasonable faith interview and then paulogia and um myth visions kind of rebuttal to it and i think there's some other people that posted about it because it was kind of a big
1: yeah it was a big deal
0: it's good information to hear kind of how people responded to it too
1: and to keep in mind not just william lane craig but any apologist what their motivations are and what confirmation biases they might have (music)
0: So let's, let's get into our, our questions. We, we received a, a good amount of questions.
1: So this one is for Phil growing up in the Uber controlling Christian household. You did when you left, did you go on a secular music journey? As you discovered new music, did you feel cheated? And finally, was there a band or artist that you were told was super evil? And after you listened to them, couldn't understand what the big deal was.
0: That's a good question. I grew up in a really musical family. So like from a very young age, I was like singing special music, you know, at church, like that whole thing. So music was definitely a big thing for me. I don't think I really cared too much about secular music until I got into like probably high school because I don't think even middle school, anything other than like Christian music was on my radar. Uh, Did you go
1: to a Christian middle school? I forget.
0: Oh yeah, I went to Christian everything. So
1: okay.
0: K through twelve. So yeah. So I think the first um, secular band, I use secular in quotes, band that I discovered was U2. As far as secular bands go, that's probably the most innocuous secular band that you can Mm -hmm. come across. Yeah. So I remember having the war CD in my backpack. After school one day, and my parents coming across it, and they they lost their shit about really? you two you know, about you like, two, about wow. you two, and I had to, you know, remind them that three of the four members of you two were Christians. My parents, of course, rebutted with, "Well, they're Catholics." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." <So> okay. <laughs> I remember also getting busted with a Paula Abdul CD, which to this day I'm probably just ashamed of having. But
1: hang on a second, but, Paula Abdul. My yeah. my uncle is a pastor, and. My cousins, his daughters, they all loved Paula Abdul and they were all fine with it. He's a Lutheran pastor.
0: Oh yeah. Hey, but we've already established your, your parents childhood, are nuts. Yeah. Your childhood, <laughs> my childhood, vastly different. But yeah, so so Paula Abdul, you know, was was the secular another C D that I had, and my parents were like, You can't listen to this music, it's gonna send you down the wrong path. So me being the rebellious cuss that I was, my my response to this was I'm going to find the hardest Christian music that I could find screamo death metal. Yeah. You can't understand the thing that they're saying. I'd be blasting it in my room and my parents would come up and be like, what is that devil music? And I would just hand them the liner notes and it was all Christian lyrics. And
1: <laughs> you found a loophole. <laughs> yeah. There was
0: nothing they could do about it. you know. <laughs> so yeah, I guess the second part of the question, like there isn't anything that I was told was super evil and I found out Later that, oh, it was evil, or it wasn't. It was just music. Like I'm still a huge U2 fan to this day, and it's funny now. Actually being post Christian, listening to U2, a lot of the experiences I had, like in live concerts with U2, were very like worship like, and I I compared to the like, oh, this is like being with God, and now I realize, of course. That's just the same emotional manipulation you feel when you listen to Hillsong, you know? Right. So, yeah. But what about you? Do you have any musical thoughts? Like how is music in your upbringing?
1: Well, totally different from yours. I was allowed to listen to whatever I wanted. And my first concert I ever went to with my best friend and her little sister when I think I was 12, we went to a Third Eye Blind concert. My parents let me go. I went to HF Festival every year. If you're from the DC area, you know what HF Festival was. Yeah. (laughs) I I just went to a lot of rock concerts. My parents were totally fine with it. Nice. But as far as church music, this is funny. When I read your question, I had to I really dug this out of my memory. But I joined choir when I was in high school because I just I loved to sing and I loved singing the hymns. And I still love that. You know, my sister and I will get together at Christmas sometimes and we'll sing at the piano and Mm -hmm. we'll harmonize so i was the youngest person in the choir by like 30 years but (laughs) i loved doing it it was all purely selfish reasons because i enjoyed it right and i felt like it was an easy way for me to check off that box of like i'm doing something to serve the church Mm -hmm. because you know how much it was pressured on us to be a servant in christ evangelize and i don't know use your talents for for the church and my mom did that she used her talents by teaching Sunday school and teaching VBS. And I had zero interest in doing that. I did not like to work with kids. So this was like the way I could check off a box and do something I wanted. And I kind of felt guilty that I was using it that way, but, right. but that made me feel better, I guess, because I knew I wasn't like totally into church.
0: Right, right. Were, were Lutheran choirs like really good, like musically, or were they like uh, just, well, a not hodge, ours. <laughs> just a hodgepodge of, of awful tone deaf I people. mean, we weren't
1: terrible. There were a few really good singers. Yeah. But overall, we were just mediocre.
0: Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Good question. Thanks for sending yeah, that thank in. Thank you. Let's go on to our next question. Um, this one came in and it says I want to know how a God can be described as loving. And then it clearly says that he's jealous and angry and love is not jealous and angry. If I could see all of time as a whole, and I knew my baby would suffer their entire lifetime, I would abort them. But God can see all these people who will suffer in eternity and he still makes them. He hates abortion so badly, but instead of sending the baby, the 10 year old victim doesn't want into her womb, he could send it to the infertile couple who have been praying for years for a child. But instead of that, he sends it to people. To harass at an abortion clinic instead of feeding starving people, he helps Linda find her car keys and make it to work on time.
1: well, at least Linda got to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, so what's your thought on this about you know God God being loving but doing the kind of shit that he does?
1: Yeah, well, I think this question is really insightful because it's thinking beneath the surface. I think it's another example of how Christianity it depends on people not thinking too hard about what they're being taught so oh we're not saying names right? right so she's absolutely right there is a lot about reality that does not agree with there being a perfectly loving omniscient god and yeah like imagine your child is kidnapped by sex trafficker phil wouldn't you do everything in your power to get your child back
0: yeah absolutely
1: anything anything you could god could easily do it easily right he has the power he has the knowledge of where your child is to rescue your child or to even prevent it from happening. But he doesn't. Right. And to me, that doesn't sound like love. So yes, I totally agree with the person who's asking this question. And I know that the Christian would say, it's because of free will, but that does not hold up for me because giving the sex trafficker free will to sex traffic takes away the free will of that innocent child to not be sex trafficked. Right. So apparently it's more important to God that bad people be allowed to do bad things And for other people to not have bad things done to them
0: yeah so that sounds
1: like something more an unloving god or the devil would do (laughs) not a loving god right what do you think about it
0: yeah and for me i think it really depends on you know your definition of love you know if you're a person who's been taught to believe that love is rooted in power and control and that the person who's doing the loving is an absolute authority, has absolute knowledge, and is perfect. Well, then how can that person being loved complain or question how they are being loved? You know, it's it's really mm-hmm. the definition of an abusive relationship. So
1: it's like submit, don't question. That's right. what you're saying. The, yeah.
0: re, the way God can do this is because, well, he's allowed to do whatever he wants because he's God. And us as the lowly humans don't have any ability to question or complain about it because we're just lowly humans. And then you get the his ways are higher than our ways, uh, horseshit. We're not allowed to question. It begs the question: How can God be considered loving when His method of redemption was to kill His only Son? And then, mm. by extrapolation, He asked His followers to do the same thing. You know, Abraham. He said, "Hey, go kill your only son, Isaac." And and Abraham did it. Like he was going to do it without question. It was just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know. So if you're viewing right. God in that way, then your your definition of love is just skewed.
1: It's not the kind of love that we have evolved as a species. And the kind of love that we have for our children. That's not the kind of love that God has for us.
0: It's not the kind of love that you would want to have in any other sphere of your life. Yeah. If you met a man or a woman or whatever gender you choose to love and They loved you the way God does, you would be filing a police report, (laughs) you know, and trying to get restraining orders. Yeah. I know one of the Born Again Again episodes talk about how that relationship with God is like an abusive relationship. And I wrote a blog about this too, and like side by side compared red flags from abusive relationships to your relationship with God. So you make a good point. Yeah. God not loving. And then the, car the, keys. Last, the last thing about the car keys. I know that is one of my biggest pet peeves when people say, oh, God gave me a, a, a parking space at Target and he's just so good. And I'm like, really? There's a genocide in Rwanda going on, but he yeah. got you a fucking. And
1: like space. all the kids being raped in the Catholic churches and right. and other places. I mean, that was just an example. Yeah. That's happening in his house. If you count Catholics as Christians.
0: Right, right. Not like my parents. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It doesn't add up. It does not add up. Yeah. Good question.
0: Great question. Yeah. Thanks for sending that one in. All right. As Christians, did you ever believe that you felt the presence of God? What sensations did you experience? And assuming that you had them, how do you now interpret those experiences?
1: Okay, so this will be short for me because I basically never did, (laughs) except for only two times. I can remember feeling something. I was pretty young and I was reading my Bible and I was just, I put my Bible down and I was just laying on my bed and thinking about like what it would be like if Jesus was real and he was my friend and he would always protect me. And I loved that idea so much that I was kind of overcome with emotion at that moment. And I don't know, I guess I, in that moment, I believed it, Yeah. but then like those feelings always fade and it wasn't something that was sustainable. I I mean, the way I view that now is that I was a little kid and I wanted safety and security and that was offered to me in the Bible. And so I tried to accept it. Yeah. The second time was when the first time I went to InterVarsity Fellowship in my freshman year of college, I was used to. The lutheran style like organ music and hymns and stuff and i had never been exposed to this worship type music that i guess you were so involved yeah. in yeah and yeah i was not prepared for that emotional manipulation <laughs> and so i yeah fell victim to that
0: yeah just like, just one time oh just one time just
1: one time yeah so like i never the, went back after that
0: <laughs> oh you didn't so <laughs> to, like... to not
1: to the fellowship i did like the small groups and stuff but i oh, never okay. did that like main, the, the, big the bands media. again
0: yeah. No, big, I never did. Big meeting. That's a good time. I, think, I don't know if that's what Ivy calls it. That's. I
1: don't. I don't remember. So, what about you? Did you ever feel like you
0: felt God? For me, I feel like it was kind of different. I think. I. I think I definitely felt the presence of God in a different way, and probably not in the way that most Christians would want to like admit that they feel the presence of God. Growing up like fundamentalist Baptists, it wasn't emotions and feelings about God weren't something that you talked about like the charismatics did that you know they had the holy spirit and the speaking of tongues and and the, the holy barking and the holy laughter we thought all that was was horseshit sorry uh, what
1: oh holy you don't know about barking? Holy,
0: holy barking yeah look youtube that one it'll it'll change your life <laughs> okay. But yeah but yeah so like you know baptists are pretty reserved in their you know worship style so the presence of god that you felt as a baptist was guilt shame and conviction oh that's depressing so yeah, I felt the presence of God that way for probably the first 16 or 17 years of my Christian life.
1: Do you know what that makes me think of? if you're using eye drops and they start to burn, it's like, that's how you know it's working. <laughs> right. If you feel the burning, that's how you know it's working. If you right. feel that pain, that's how you know God's with you.
0: Right. Oh, and that's definitely something that you know, you're taught in that mindset is like, well, if If bad things happen because God's trying to teach you something, if you feel like shit as a person, well, you're in tune with God because he is telling you how great he is and how worthless you are. So
1: And so what if you have a good life and you're happy?
0: Oh, well, you still give God all the credit for that. Or you manufacture persecution so that way you you can feel like everyone else. But like later in my Christian life, then I kind of discovered um worship kind of like you did at at IV or whatever. And I got into leading worship and all of that stuff. And so then I had the opposite experience of like, okay, well now I can be the one levying the conviction on people. So I was like, oh, this is a new power that I have. Hmm. You know? Ooh, I can can really manipulate a lot of people into connecting with God. Of course at the time I didn't realize (laughs) that's what you i use was those doing. words yeah i thought i was connecting with with god and sharing that connection with other people and I, I mentioned this earlier i had this realization on the floor at some u2 concert you know and i was like oh man i feel like really close to god here But I never connected those two feelings that I felt there with the same thing that happened in church, you know, occasionally. Right. And how do I view kind of some of those things now is like, well, they were just emotional responses to whatever situation I was in. On the negative side with the conviction, it's like I was a child Mm -hmm. that was basically being perpetually told you're a sinner and you're worthy of hell. How else are you going to process that except for, right? you know, get me out of this and I'll believe whatever you want me to so I can not feel this way.
1: Oh, uh, that's horrible what you just said. I'll believe whatever you want me to. Just leave me alone. <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, the way you said that, it just hits home how much spiritual abuse this is. Did you ever believe in miracles, answered prayer, prophecy, faith healing, or revelation? And how do you see that now?
0: Answered prayer, yes, but yeah, like I said earlier, being a fundamentalist, we didn't believe in prophecy or faith healing or you know any of that miraculous stuff. That was all for the charismatics, you know. Okay, yeah. People definitely claimed to have prayers answered, and I remember as a child, we were in like dire financial straits, which it seems like. It seemed like we always were. Yeah. Um, And I remember like we were coming back from somewhere and I remember my parents being like upset and saying, you know, we don't have any food. Like, I don't know how we're going to do dinner tonight. Right. And we pulled in the driveway and there was like bags and bags of groceries on our front stoop. You know, my parents like lose their shit and we're like, I'm like, yay, we're going to freaking eat. Like, it wouldn't (laughs) matter what's in that bag, you know? And so I, I definitely took that as God answering prayer and God's miraculous provision you know but it was people mm-hmm. the church knew we were poor right and yes it was probably because of their faith and their belief that they thought we should help people but there's plenty of people that would do that now for people with no motivation of god or faith yes how i view that kind of stuff now is really it's just people being human to other people when you hear about a need if you're a decent human being you try to figure out a way that you can meet that person's need
1: humans don't even have to be involved it could be like you pray that your wedding day will be sunny and then it's sunny. Right. That's just chance, you know, right. But people will construe natural patterns of probability, right. Or answered prayer. Yeah. Sorry. I might be answering this question too. Well, that's okay. no,
0: yeah. What's, what's your take on this? Like,
1: well, yeah, same with you. Like my, my church didn't care too much about prophecy or faith healing or, it wasn't anything that I dealt with. Right. My church, yes, definitely answered prayer. I think I've told the story before about my purse that I got back from the hotel Mm-mm. after I prayed. But I mean, I called the hotel and I was like, my purse is in room X. It's in the drawer. <laughs> Can you send it to me? And they're like, right. okay. So <laughs> I would have gotten it back anyway.
0: Right. When you were telling that story, I thought of this time that I drove from my house to a park with my phone on my bumper of my car. <gasps> whoa and when i got all the way to the thing i was like oh shit where's my phone and i went back there and the phone was still on the bumper and i was like oh my god like that's incredible like there's guardian <laughs> angels behind my car holding my phone on it's like no it's what? just physics you know like
1: all right, and that's crazy because that means that the guardian angels care more about your phone correct. than you know genocide
0: than the six car pile up that happened probably at the same time on the yeah, highway right you know where right. three people died you know like
1: yeah Oh, that reminds me that there was a woman at my church who uh, said that an angel... Okay, so she skidded on some ice on a turn, like on a wooded road. She was headed towards a guardrail and then her car just kind of like lifted up in the air and went over the guardrail and landed safely on the other side. And she says she believes an angel did it. And my mom, I didn't hear her tell the story, but my mom is the one who told me this. And so my mom was like kind of excited about it. And I was like, huh, really? (laughs) And I remember even as a kid thinking, but I wonder what kind of other explanations there could be Right, really an angel. And I I just kept thinking, well, if that's true, like that's kind of cool, but how do we know it was an angel? And I kept thinking, how do we know? How do we know?
0: Yeah. I can, I can trump that story because I had a similar experience driving to Indiana once in the winter from Harrisonburg, going over the mountain into West Virginia. And there was a blizzard. We're going over this road. It is snowing like insanely. Right. And I remember going over the crest of this hill and then the road started to like turn and then I went to turn and the car just started to slide. Now, mind you, we're on the top of a mountain, right? Going down the side of a mountain. So the car is going towards the edge of this mountain where there is a guardrail <sighs> and I, there's nothing I can do about it. So, you know, my wife's going kind to of freaking out She's about screaming. it. And I shit you not to this day, I believe this happened. We got over to six feet from that guardrail and the car just, it felt like it hit something and then it went right back into the road and we just like coasted the rest of the way down the mountain. And I pulled over on the side of the road and was like, holy shit, like what was that? You know? And of course, being a believer at the time, I was like, Well, that was certainly an angel, you know, that prevented us from going over that mountain because I thought for sure we were going to be dead.
1: Wow.
0: Of course, it was probably just a rut in the snow because yeah. you, were, you were going between paved, cleared snow that was been driven on and then high snow. So, but yeah, I remember right. that clear as day thinking that, was, oh, that was a miracle. Ooh,
1: well, I'm glad you didn't go over the side of the mountain. Yeah. Or we would be here today talking. Yeah.
0: I was like, Yeah, this is how it ends. We're just going to tumble off the (laughs) side of this mountain. I was like, yeah. With a whimper. Yeah, with a whimper. But miracles, now bullshit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So next question. Was leaving religion painful for you? Do you ever regret it?
0: Um, I can say I don't regret it. So I'll answer that part first. No, I don't regret it. And I think it was painful in one sense of like, I was letting go of something that was my whole identity for so much of my life. But then at the mm-hmm. same time, it was also freeing because I was letting go of something that was my whole identity for so much of my life. So it allowed me to create my own identity that was based on who I actually am instead of what I believe,
1: and trying to figure out who you are at like age thirty something is, I imagine, yeah,
0: it's a little, difficult. little daunting. Like, yeah, I realized that like my beliefs were who I was. Uh-huh. I didn't have any concept of who I was as a person. And actually, oddly enough, it was a pastor that told me when I was kind of in my deconstruction phase and didn't know it. You know, she was saying, "You got to find out who you are outside of being a husband." Outside of being a worship leader, you just need to find who Phil is. That was some of the best advice I've ever gotten. Is
1: that when he decided to be a yo-yoer?
0: No, no, that was a long <laughs> time ago. That was the yo-yoing is a recent. It's a recent addiction, but but yeah, I think that uh, the shifting and deconstruction, like it was so gradual. I keep trying to pin down. I think I've said this before. Yeah, trying hard. to pin down like where you actually started deconverting, and, and yeah. for me, I really can't. It's like it's like ten plus years of. Of time where you had little little snippets of deconstruction, but but I definitely don't regret it. Like some people might say, Well, you wasted all that time. I occasionally will feel that sense of regret, like, oh I wish I would have gotten out earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't I don't ever regret that I did it. But what about you?
1: In a way it was painful, but in another way it wasn't. So when I admitted to myself that I was not a Christian, I felt an exuberance that I had never experienced before in my entire life. It was an exhilarating feeling of finally being able to let go of all those beliefs that I had been hampered with for my whole life that I had never been convinced of. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, and this was the hard part, I realized now I had to face the fact that I was leaving that identity that I was born into, the one that my entire family had, and that was huge for me. And I also had to tell my husband, so that was also really daunting. Yeah, It definitely wrecked my sleep for like weeks. Oh, weeks really? and weeks, yeah. It affected me physically in a lot of ways until i really started to like settle into it the new me the new belief system right then i was a lot more calm the stress hormones that really influences your body and so in those few weeks that transition time i guess that's a good word for it that transition time i was completely wrecked
0: yeah and i'm assuming you wouldn't say that you have any ounce of regret about it (laughs) oh not at all (laughs) yeah Did you have any difficulty letting go of certain concepts like heaven, hell, sin, inherent authority, absolute truth, stuff like that?
1: No, I mean, that was the part that was easy for me, letting go of all that stuff, because I was never convinced of it in the first place. You know, I often hear that people mourn the loss of heaven, but that was never something I was ever sure of. And so I was never really attached to that idea. I miss my grandparents a lot. Mm -hmm. When I thought of them, I always thought, I wonder if they're actually in heaven. I wonder if that exists or I wonder if they're just gone. Yeah. I also never felt like I was under the influence of an authority. I just went about my life and I made my own decisions based on my own intuition. I didn't think about trying to figure out what a God would want. I just trusted myself to make good decisions. And coming out of it, I know that's something that a lot of people struggled with and they're kind of learning how to do that. And so I feel fortunate that I was in an environment where I was able to do that for myself. Yeah. What about you?
0: Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing that I had a hard time letting go of was the idea of absolute truth. Because I think the way my brain works, you know, with liking logic and reason and data, I wanted to believe that there was something absolute to build my life on. So believing something and that it had all the answers for my life, no matter what they were, and living a life of absolute certainty, that was not easy to let go of. Like I didn't do well with the idea of ambivalence or the, the idea of like, well, maybe something's not true. I fully believed. All that stuff down to my core, so that was hard to let go of the idea that there aren't certain things that are absolutely true in this realm. Anyway, I I do think there are things that are absolutely true. Okay, still. that's
1: <laughs> what I was going to follow up with. So there, you do believe there is an absolute truth, right? Uh,
0: yes, in certain. Okay. Yes, in certain areas, like. But I a, mean,
1: like universal, like yes, the universe came from somewhere.
0: Yes. Yes. That's
1: an absolute truth, even if we don't know it.
0: Yes. Right? Yes. What I mean by absolute truth is the idea. Of what you believe about, you know, Jesus or heaven or hell, there is no room for the possibility to it be for it to be wrong.
1: Okay. That's not quite the definition I think of when I think of absolute okay. truth. So I think that's why I'm confused.
0: I guess that may be actually more linked to the idea of inherent authority, because like I believed everything that a pastor told me. I believed everything that the Bible said. Uh-huh. And so letting go of that idea of absolute truth. Biblical truth, I guess, was not easy for me to do. You know.
1: So after that truth was gone, you kind of were like, "Well, what do I?" Right. What is my absolute truth now?
0: Right. Where do I get truth from if it's not from the Bible? Okay, interesting. So So
1: where do you get your truth from?
0: Well, for me, I think now truth is just based on it's based on evidence and proof. Yeah. If there's no evidence for it, well, then there's no reason to believe that it's true or accept that it's true. Thanks, Lars. (laughs) Yeah. Every time. (laughs) Every time I'm talking to someone about evolution now, the first thing I say is you don't believe evolution, you accept, you accept it, it or you don't, so yeah, that was a hard thing to let go of those kind of i guess it's not really absolute truth, it's actually letting go of certainty
1: ah, yes, okay, that makes more was, sense was
0: hard to let go of, yeah, and then I think the afterlife was like a yeah, but what if you know heaven and hell is real, you know that was that was probably like a lingering thing too because you've been ingrained that like everything that you're doing is for the reward of heaven you know so every once in a while i feel like the idea of heaven would sound appealing Hmm. until i remember that most of the people claim to be going to heaven are people i really don't want to spend eternity with so yeah
1: well i don't know about you but i always imagined heaven as like a never-ending church service and that (laughs) seems insufferable to me like it seems more like hell
0: yeah hell i think was something that i let go kind of early on because right in my shift of deconstruction when i shifted from the fundamentalist thing to a more progressive theology the first thing that shifted was that god is a god of love and so the first thing to go out the door was hell
1: so you thought that people either went to heaven or they were annihilated or did everybody go to heaven
0: i think i thought everybody went to heaven oh, okay but yeah i kind of let go of hell because i was like well a loving god wouldn't send people to hell so hell's got to go
1: All right, next question. Is there anything about your Christian life that you miss?
0: Yeah, I think for me, the the biggest thing that I miss is is the feeling of community. Because I was so involved, my whole life was Christianity and the church and worship teams and missions, this and fundraisers and all that kind of stuff. So all of those connections that I had, I didn't have anymore. I think in the secular world, you don't find that same kind of, I don't know what you would call it, camaraderie or like-mindedness. Right. And I guess it's really more of like a hive brain. In Christianity, you feel like, well, everyone believes this exactly the same way I do. So when I when I look at a situation and I go to someone with a question, I know that their response is going to be the same thing that I would think.
1: Oh, so you're like the Borg.
0: Yeah. 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 So I think that like has been kind of hard to let go of. But then I discovered again, at the end of my Christian journey, the social justice causes and things that I was passionate about as a progressive cr- progressive Christian. And then I realized well, I don't need the Christianity part to still be passionate about these causes. Yeah,
1: you can still do it.
0: You can still do all these things without the help of a deity. So, yeah, and then I guess the musical aspects of leading worship and like, there's a real ego boost to standing up in front of hundreds of people and making them eat out of the palm of your hand musically. Uh So
1: (laughs) You feel powerful.
0: And you can't really replicate that in the secular world unless you get really, really famous as a musician. Like I played out at coffee houses and stuff like that and you know it's not the same thing you know as having a captive audience of hundreds of people yeah, change to
1: their pews yeah yeah i think that um the humanist community is working on creating those frameworks yeah so that there's something to replace church with
0: yeah what about you
1: uh i don't miss anything none of it no so i didn't have the community aspect that you did uh, as an adult i tried Kind of not to engage with people. Okay. Growing up in my home church, my parents were very involved in church. And so I was involved in that church, but I don't know. Like I, I have a lot of friends, all of them are secular. So Mm. I never felt like I lost anything because 97% of my friends are not from church. Okay. But ironically, the community aspect that you're talking about, I get that from my son's travel baseball team.
0: You must have like really nice baseball people because I wouldn't want to hang out. Yeah, we're honestly
1: like a family. That's cool. Everybody's very accepting. The only thing that you have to do is, you know, make the team to get on. Yeah. You don't have to like profess a dogma or conform to somebody's expectations.
0: Well, that's a community that's, it's built organically around the common interests of baseball. Yeah. And then, you know, you've connected with a bunch of other humans, and they just you just happen to be linked by a base call. Right. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of that in the secular world, and that it's funny because if you never grew up Christian, the idea of like needing a framework of places to like meet people and do stuff is so foreign. Right. Regular humans do this evolutionarily. We're biologically made to do that. That's
1: true. You know how we should ask Genevieve from that GD show. She was never religious, and so we should ask her like did she ever feel like she was missing out on that community aspect oh, yeah. i want to ask her that i want the next episode
0: we need to get her on a the show. question can we get her on the show
1: oh yeah we can get her on the show if
0: i can get her on this I, show I'll, I'll
1: go harass her she lives near us oh really i'll harass her till she agrees to come <laughs> on
0: she agrees that's funny All right, moving right along to our next question. Can you think of anything that would convince you that at least one God is real? What about Christianity or some other specific religion? Hmm.
1: At least one God. Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, what would you need?
1: Because that God wouldn't necessarily have to be tri-omni. Okay, so, uh, well, regarding any deity, I guess it would have to demonstrate its existence to me in such a way that it would be undeniable that it's a deity And that it's not a hallucination on my part. Right. It could appear to me and then it could also be caught on video or I could have audio of it or there could be another witness or something like that. Also, that deity would have to be not logically incoherent like the Christian God is and can't be inconsistent with reality like the Christian God is. (laughs) Right. So for me, I think for a deity to be able to be consistent with our reality, it can't be tri-omni. For those who don't know, that's omnibenevolent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Yeah, those three things are logically incompatible. Yeah, um, especially with all the suffering in the world. Right, it doesn't work. Yeah, maybe if you get rid of one of them, that could work. Yeah, what about you?
0: What you were saying, the whole thing is proof. <laughs> show me proof. Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's the same thing. Come down, show yourself to me in person, in the flesh. Demonstrate that you're all powerful. Because if you're going to be God, then you all powerful is kind of non-negotiable. Otherwise, you're just some schmo
1: a demigod could be a demigod thor is not even all powerful
0: <laughs> no i i'm just saying but all, for me power is an important part of a deity you know cuz otherwise how could you be a god if okay, you don't have power. some kind of yeah. some kind of power but not necessarily all powerful M- maybe not necessarily uh, yeah, i'd settle for mostly okay. powerful okay yeah, an insane amount of power that is clearly inhuman.
1: Okay, got it.
0: Uh, and not generated by nuclear power or something stuck in your chest like Iron Man, or
1: like yeah, Batman <laughs> right. contraptions. Yeah.
0: Take me back to when you created the world.
1: Oh, oh yeah, that, that'd be
0: fun. Take me back there so I can see it, and then let me document it. You know, take me to a place in the world with major systemic problems and fix them immediately and conclusively. Or
1: regrow a limb.
0: Right. That's a good one. And then the Christian God for me, like, I feel like if the Christian God met all that above criteria and proved his realness, I still don't think I would believe and follow that God because he's hateful and unloving. He could be all powerful. He could fix problems, all that kind of stuff. But like, I think he's still based on what we know about him. He's still a shitty character. Yeah. I might believe that he's real, but I'm not going to follow him.
1: Next question. Have you carried on relationships with friends and family who are religious? If so, have those relationships changed or stayed the same, and are they better or worse if they've changed?
0: It's a good question, and I think it's a little different between friends and family. I think on the friend side, I think what I realized is that many of the like quote unquote relationships or friendships that I thought were deep friendships were not as deep as I thought they were Mm -hmm. because they weren't based on mutual respect and care for each other. They were based on a shared belief system. Now that I don't believe the same things as that person, I don't have anything in common with them because I didn't really know who they were outside of that belief context. So Mm -hmm. even in my last faith community, which like their whole drive was about connecting with people and the motto was everyone means everyone. I still have connections with those people, but like I haven't seen any of them in years. You know, I don't talk to them except for on a comment on Facebook. You know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: To me, they're not real relationships anymore. You know, so I would say I, I don't really have relationships with friends that are, of people that are religious anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as my family goes, they're like super Christian still. And they basically refuse to engage me on anything related to my atheism or humanism or agnosticism or whatever you want to call it.
1: Do you see them often?
0: I have not seen my immediate family since before COVID.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Well, part of it is that they refuse to get vaccinated, so the, <laughs> which also uh. goes right along with their belief system. But yeah, I, I try to keep the door open to them when I told them, well, for those of you who hadn't heard about how they found out that I was an atheist my mom came across my interview on graceful atheists and she texted me on new year's Eve night saying, I'm sorry that you're an atheist now. So anyway, <laughs> I I lost control of that narrative of yeah. telling them how I had changed. And so I, I left it open to them saying, look, I know this is probably going to be painful. You may not understand it. I'm open to any and all questions and to have a conversation with you about it. And I've never got, not the first question, never got a single question about it. So that relationship is, I would say, it's very surfacey. Now, I'm not going to antagonize their religion either. Mm-hmm. Like, unless they say something really overtly ridiculous, then I won't be able to let it slide. But
1: yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
0: I guess I would say that that relationship it's changed on some level, but it was also kind of slippery sloping when I got divorced too, because I was like a black sheep after that too. So oh, because
1: you got divorced, really. <laughs>
0: yeah they couldn't relate to the idea of me being divorced and i think that started to change how they viewed me so yeah
1: okay i didn't realize that was a problem for them i guess it makes sense but i didn't realize
0: yeah they they pretended that it wasn't but it was you know so what about you
1: well i mentioned before i didn't have very many church relationships i had one friendship from church that i cared about and i texted her a few months after i decided i was no longer a christian this was during covid so we haven't been going to church anyway And I told her, I explained my reasoning and then I said, "I some relationships make it past this and I have confidence that ours will because I think that our friendship is based on more than church. And she was so gracious and so accepting. I kept that relationship and we're we're still good friends. As far as my family goes, they don't treat me any differently at all. I've talked about this before. My family has been really great about it, but they still won't engage me on anything. My sister would, I think, but... I'm kind of hesitant too. I just don't want to start anything, and I don't really see much good coming out of it. Yeah. Um, But my mom doesn't know what to do with me. Like, (laughs) I did have a short conversation with my dad when I was explaining to him some of my views on the Bible, and I got this Lutheran fundamentalist to (laughs) to admit to me that okay, maybe the Bible is not inerrant. And I was like, wow. But he said it was in matters of doctrine. Right. But I was like, that's not what was taught to me my whole life dad right yeah so yeah things with my family are good it's not much in the way of uh discussion about religion
0: yeah so you feel that your relationship is the same or do you feel like there's an 800 pound elephant in the room and you kind (laughs) kind of
1: sort of an elephant
0: and you kind of just talk around it or pretend it's not there
1: it might not be an 800 pound elephant but it's a small elephant
0: like 350 maybe (laughs) like
1: Yeah. 350. Yeah. So here's an example of when my sister had a baby and we were um, talking about breast milk and how crazy it is that it's just so good for the baby. And it's like nearly perfect. And I said something like, oh, nature did such a good job with breast milk. And my dad said, well, not nature, God. And my sister was like, yeah. And I could have engaged them, but I didn't. But it's like (laughs) these little comments. Right. I I could have said, oh, if God made it, why did he leave the vitamin D out? Right. That's something that evolution would Forget, not God. Um, right, right. But I didn't engage.
0: <laughs> do you regret not engaging that? Or is it do you like like damn it, I couldn't um,
1: I well yes, because I still think about it to this day. I replay that conversation in my head and I just yeah. think like they didn't respect my beliefs enough to just let me have let me drop a comment and not right come back at me about it. Right. So yeah, there's like little elephants like that that just appear every now and then that remind us that we have different views.
0: Yeah, my my parents try to do the passive my my not my dad, but my mom definitely does the passive aggressive thing where she'll send me a link to some article or she will want me to listen to some podcast or yeah. some I just don't even reply to them. Like you said, like I don't have anything productive to say. Yeah. Back, like that's not going to cause an argument. It just, or it's not exactly. Gonna, it's just going to deepen the rift. Yeah. I don't need to reply. And my, it's funny because my wife will tell me. I'll, I'll show her something like the thing I told you about where they sent me the thing about the chickens Yeah, they tell you about. That. So she sends yeah. me this thing about how God is like a hen a- gathering <laughs> his chicks. And she did this because she thinks she's connecting with me because we have chickens. Yeah. You know, so she thinks I'm going to use an object Lexus, like I'm five years old and I need a flannel graph on the com- comparison between god as mother hen and the chickens that i have and i was just like biting my tongue and my wife like looks at the message she goes don't just don't reply to it (laughs) like she's like she goes you're not going to accomplish anything by it i was like i just want to say something snarky like yeah it's hard Yeah, it's like yeah for, for us it's probably it's a bigger than an 800 pound elephant because it's 400 miles in between and there's no there's not even any effort to get rid of the elephant
1: right right everybody is happy to let
0: the elephant stay yeah they're just fine like it's shitting all over the floor and there's (laughs) dung everywhere but it's cool all right do you feel more or less confident in explaining why you believe what you believe now than you did as a christian
1: oh way more confident not even a comparison. So I never felt confident in my beliefs as a Christian, obviously. They were not my beliefs. They were the beliefs of my family that were placed on me when I was born. Now I was just expected to adopt them. Right. I never independently chose those beliefs or became convinced of them myself. And I kind of like knew the talking points, but I never felt convicted by them. And so when I delivered them, I kind of felt like, uh, <laughs> okay. So I'll give an example.
0: You were like acting.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I was acting. Here's an example. In high school, one time I was having a, a discussion with my chemistry teacher who was awesome. He is a vegetarian, um, or was, I'm assuming he still is. And I was debating with him about it, like how I I was like saying it's okay to eat animals. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I gave for why it's okay to eat animals is because the Bible gives us dominion over animals. And even as I was saying the words, even before I said the words, I knew that I wouldn't be able to defend this. Yeah. And I knew that it was not a valid argument. And sure enough, out of my mouth came these words, because the Bible says we have dominion over the animals. I knew it was going to come back in my face.
0: And you're talking to a scientist. So it's like, yes, you're just yes. going to get dominated. like
1: Right. And so he looks at me and he goes, you cannot use the Bible as an argument. And I was like, I know.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, but, but. oh that's so funny my dad
1: said i could
0: my dad said i could yeah that's hilarious
1: so uh now i actually believe the things that i say
0: yeah it's a good feeling it makes a little bit easier yeah if you can actually back up what you're saying with some measure of intelligence and yes self confidence and good
1: argument it's sound epistemology it's yeah it's a great thing yeah so what about you
0: well so (laughs) i was thinking about this question And I'm kind of the opposite in that, like, I could probably still to this day defend Christianity to it to my own self if I wanted to. You know, I got like 35 Mm, or 40 years of indoctrination to support my confidence level in defending Christianity. But I think the difference with like what I believe now is that it's not a belief system. I have like facts that I accept and evidence that I review and consider. And then if the facts support the hypothesis and the conclusion, then I accept them. If they don't, then I either do more research or I throw them out. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to believe in anything. And so because of that, I don't feel like I have to defend or explain what it is. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't like argue a point or I won't challenge someone on something or try to explain something that I've learned. I think now it's more of like a voracious learning phase is kind of what I'm in I don't think I would necessarily feel confident in explaining evolution or some other, even some of the philosophical arguments that we've talked about on this show. Like, I don't consider myself a philosophical wizard. That's part of the freedom, I think, coming out of that like world of certainty, you know, where before I knew, I thought I knew what I believe was 100% true. And now there's like a freedom in saying, well, that might be true. That might not be true. I'm show me show me more.
1: Yeah, to have the freedom to say you don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's very liberating, you know. And yeah. But it's different than the idea of saying, I'm okay with not knowing because God's in control.
1: Or like I'm okay with not knowing exactly how the Trinity works because I'm just gonna have faith that it works.
0: <laughs> right. And the difference is there's someone that does know. And I'm gonna try to learn from them so that I can know. Oh, well on some concepts there's some things i think that we just like
1: what bang the big bang i don't know if we will ever know that <laughs>
0: yeah we're not gonna know that but i'm kind of talking circularly a little bit by saying i don't feel the need to defend my beliefs because they're not they're
1: not beliefs they're not
0: beliefs and whatever i think or believe is my business i don't have a mission to proselytize
1: <laughs> right good answer All right. Next question. Are there any sins you include in your life now that you avoided as believers or that you used to feel guilty about, but no longer do? And sins is in
0: quotes. Yeah. <laughs> sins better be in quotes. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I could ever have a short answer, I could just say no, but of course being who I am. You can't
1: ever have a short
0: answer. That's not going to just be like, no. And and now let's go to Susie with weather, <laughs> you know, but yes. Yeah, right. Like, no, I, I don't, there are not sins. And like a lot of people think that the reason that people deconvert is so they can live a life of sin. right? And that certainly was not my case. And I've yet to find a person that has deconverted that says, you know, I really just wanted to smoke crack and I just wanted to get a bunch of prostitutes. Mm -hmm. And that's why I can't believe in God anymore. I've literally never met any person like that. So no, I don't believe in sin at all. So there's nothing that I do now as an atheist or a humanist that I wouldn't have done as a Christian, basically because I don't have the problem with guilt and shame. So I don't live a life of debauchery, obviously, (laughs) but I never did. That was never even like a draw for me. And it wasn't, that was actually not something related to being Christian. When I turned 21, I wasn't like itching to go get drunk. It was never something that appealed to me. I followed the rules. That's just kind of how I, was wired, I guess. And I don't know if that's because of parenting or or whatever, but one of the things that's different in my mindset was around the idea of sexuality. So my whole previous life, I waited for marriage for all of that. And then 10 years later, 12 years later, I was divorced and now I'm in my thirties and single again. And so I really struggled with the idea of like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Am I supposed to wait to get married again, to have sex? Cause I had all this like purity culture programming. And so I kind of just told myself, well, it's postmarital sex now. So yeah,
1: it's not premarital sex.
0: You can do whatever you want. So I was like, okay. And the, and I still didn't go like wild with it. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. So I was dating a girl in Canada. So I was going to go up to see her and, sh- and I was going to fly out of New Jersey where my parents live out of the airport I was like, hey, can I leave my car at your house? Like, you guys drive me to the airport. I'm going to go up to Edmonton for 10 days or whatever, and then I'll be back. And my parents were like, no, you can't leave your car here because we know that you're going to go up there and you're going to, like, fornicate with your girlfriend. And we (gasps) we can't support what you're doing up there. So you're going to have to figure out what to do with your car.
1: And weren't you, like, 30 or something? I was, like,
0: 35 years old. How old am I? Not? Yeah, I was like 30-something. <laughs> I don't know, because there's like that time's a whole blur. But yeah, I was like mid-30s, 35, 36 years mm-hmm. old.
1: That's unbelievable.
0: So I had to go and pay for parking at Newark Airport for the whole time that I was up in Canada living in sin. Hundreds of dollars. Yeah, hundreds of dollars, because my parents... The idea that they thought I would interpret them letting me park the car there as their tacit... Approval of my sexual relationship is so ridiculous. You're right. I know you're not in approval of it. Just let me park the fucking car here. (laughs) I'm just trying to save four hundred dollars. Like that's all I want to do. That's a good story for me. There, there's no sin that I'm like was dying to do. Mm -hmm. I have a drink every once in a while now because I feel like it. What about you? Are you just chomping at the bit to to live like a heathen?
1: (laughs) No, like literally nothing has changed. (laughs) Now that I'm a heathen, nothing has changed. except i did get a tattoo
0: oh my god that's
1: not because i thought it was a sin before because i didn't okay it was because tattoos don't fit into my family culture when i say my family culture not like me and my husband and my kids i mean like my parents and his parents yes yes the extended family nobody has tattoos yeah so i wanted to do something that would kind of like stake a claim for myself like plant a flag like i am my own person and i can do whatever i want to do and i'm not really too worried about how the rest of my family is going to view that right so i got a tattoo on my wrist um this past year it's a dna strand with a line from jurassic park life finds a way do you remember that line
0: oh absolutely oh yeah we've talked about this yes and don't lie you know it's actually like jeff goldblum's face it's on your butt (laughs) (laughs) it's not
1: but i did consider it
0: yeah i'm like hey hey, doug is it cool if i get jeff goldblum on my ass now i'm my own woman He might like it he might you never know i mean you gotta love jeff goldblum well it's gotta be the
1: one with like him reclining with his shirt off (laughs) like bleeding from the leg
0: yeah oh that's fantastic but Um, yeah
1: but oh now that you brought up doug though he got a tattoo in the same place that i did and this was huge for him because he grew up listening to his mom who hates tattoos, just mm. hates them, scoffs at every tattoo she sees out in public. And my husband kind of adopted that. Mm-hmm. So he decided to mark our new lives. He wanted to get a tattoo as like an exercise to change himself because he's been really working on himself. And so right. he got he got one, too. Oh, cool. and I'm really proud of him. And so now we have both tattoos and his mom hates it.
0: Nice. That's cool. I forget who said this. It might have been might have been christopher hitchens or somebody who said if you need a god to tell you to not rape murder and pillage then there's something wrong with you (laughs) like right
1: you're not a moral person
0: (laughs) yeah you're not just not a good person like so that brings up another you know potential topic for later like your morality doesn't come from god you know you don't need god to have morality
1: What is your favorite topic you've covered so far?
0: We kind of talked about this in the promo. So yeah, I think, we did. And I don't know what I said that time, but I was thinking about it because somebody asked this. I I think it's the one on child indoctrination. That topic is a passion point for me now. Having, yeah,
1: hits close to home.
0: I got four kids, and like we do an extensive amount of work to not indoctrinate them in any way, shape, or form. You know, if, yeah. if you want to ask questions about. What other people believe, what you believe about the afterlife, whatever. Fire away, you know. But we are not going to indoctrinate you or tell you what to believe. So, the uh, ones we did about the inerrancy of the Bible, I think those were the two parts. Those were two of my favorites, where we kind of mm-hmm. picked apart the Bible. Yeah,
1: that was that was a fun one.
0: And then, of course, all the guests, like all of our guests, were really cool. So, and what was yours?
1: Mine was the divine hiddenness episode, which wasn't called that. What was it called? The one with the hide and seek. The hide
0: and seek, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, I think that was the first episode where I did like a cool intro. I
0: mm. think. Oh yeah. Those
1: intros are fun.
0: Yeah, the theatrical intros. Those yeah. Are great. yeah,
1: yeah. They're kind of like a little cringeworthy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Little, a little creepy. Little funny.
1: a Little creepy. So yeah, those are fun. Yeah. What topics can we expect in season two? Great question.
0: Yeah. So we have a whole document that we started actually at the very beginning that has a running list of topics. It's and,
1: a huge list.
0: Yeah. Is there morality without God? We have something about purity, culture, prayer, Christian nationalism. I know we had one planned that we were going to do this season, which we'll now oh, have the, to wait. Um,
1: the one about the t- the target parking
0: spaces. That yes, kind of Yes. Yeah. The providence of God and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, we have a whole huge list and we also have a really good running list of guests. Yeah. Even if we have to be like, be like, dude, we got Anthony Magna Bosco. Like you don't want to get one time. up. We're a pretty big deal. So yeah, we're, we're a big deal. <laughs> Except for not really, but, but yeah. So, and of course, if, <laughs> if there's topics that you guys would like to hear about, send them our way. What are some topics that you would like to do
1: yeah the ones that i had my eye on are the ones about prayer does prayer work what it would be like to be god i think that's a really cool topic to explore yeah biblical events with no historical corroboration and (laughs) contemporaneous documentation of jesus like what kind of documents or evidence do we have that well not necessarily just of jesus but like of all the events concerning the resurrection and and all that stuff. Like what do we actually have besides the Bible? Right. Which is basically nothing. (laughs) Spoiler alert.
0: Yeah. Spoiler alert. All right. This is another question we got. If there was a God, what characteristics would it have to have for you to willingly worship it?
1: All right. This God would have to have the kind of wisdom to know, to treat people equally so that there would be no gender differences. Women and men would actually be equal. Certain ethnicities would not be denigrated like in the bible there's like outsiders yes israelites are the chosen people yeah. yeah there's outsiders and there's people who are looked down on right god hates people with disabilities i mean right. he doesn't want them to approach his altar right no problems with slavery and so in my mind if a true god who actually had wisdom understanding and love would condemn crimes like slavery like rape would instruct people how to treat women with respect that women are not property. Right. Which they were in the bible they were property we, yes we would also not be held responsible by said god for not being perfect seeing as how this god made us
0: mm-hmm. so equality basically is like kind of
1: yeah i guess a- equality and like condemnation of obvious crimes that the yeah. bible never condemned and actually endorsed right step one come on
0: yeah step one condemn things that are bad
1: yeah <laughs> yeah step
0: two do things that are good. There you go. (laughs) It's not that hard to be God. He summed
1: it up right there.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of like my feeling would be like kind of, actual expressions of the omni qualities that supposedly the christian god has even though like logically it would be hard to pull all of these off rationally i think i think you could have some expressions of all of those omni qualities so omnipotence Mm -hmm. you would actually be able to show your power and solve problems and answer prayers in an obvious way not in a mystical way that like you're it's like open to interpretation like well did god do that or not like i have cancer my leg fell off it got eaten in a wood shepherd and now it's back okay <laughs> wait god. the
1: same person had cancer and got their leg eaten in a wood shepherd. yes of course the wow. christian
0: god would do that to somebody duh that's but awful. a real god you know would grow with the guy's leg back and heal his cancer that's power He would definitely be omniscient in some way or have the characteristics of omniscient. Like, he would demonstrate his all knowingness by answering people's questions. Mm -hmm. I think, like, the biblical way of interpreting these omnis is logically impossible, but I think the rational way of interpreting the qualities is doable. So, like, omniscience means they know everything, which means you can ask them everything and they'll answer it and they have an answer. It's not like a, I'm not going to tell you because I'm smarter than you or my ways are higher than yours. Like,
1: yeah. (laughs) And I need to stay smarter than you. I need to keep you not understanding.
0: Right, right. And then lastly, which I think probably the biggest one is omnibenevolence, like truly unconditional love. Right. There would be no fear. There wouldn't be hell to motivate people. There wouldn't be punishment for people who didn't believe in you. You know you wouldn't mandate that people believed in you you would just you would love everyone you know because
1: so your god would truly be a god of love not of fear
0: yeah i think that's what i would need to to worship this this type of deity
1: your answer was more like about what this god can do and my answer was more like what does this god endorse yeah so together we have it covered yeah that's good Phil and I also wrote questions for each other. So this is my question for you, Phil. You had a very fundamentalist upbringing that ended up shaping you as a person. As an adult, you have made the choice to raise your children without dogma or ideology. But if you had a time machine, would you go back and change your own upbringing so that little Phil would also (laughs) be raised without fundamentalism?
0: Yeah, I mean, yes, 100,000% yes. Because I've I've come to realize that much of my childhood would probably be considered abusive by modern standards. You know, oh, yes, yes, for sure. I was physically punished for my sins. You know, I was spanked, I, and some of that spanking was very aggressive. The psychological abuse and like manipulation of being raised in a fundamentalist thing where you're taught that you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And yeah, I would definitely change that. And really, I'm not sure actually that deconversion was the the biggest driver in why I would why I would want to go back. It was actually probably getting divorced and remarried to somebody who was not raised fundamentalist and who already had two children of her own and had already had a parenting strategy, you know, that didn't involve religion and, you know, abuse, you know, then during that, my relationship with her, going through my own deconversion process and realizing how deeply ingrained my ideas about discipline And children and stuff were based on that fundamentalist upbringing and how damaging it would be to my kids. So I would definitely go back and change that because I don't think people realize how damaging that childhood indoctrination in fundamentalist Christianity is to a child and especially to a child that then grows up and escapes it and then starts to unpack what their childhood was really like. You know, like for a long time, I probably viewed my childhood as really not that bad, and would say, "Oh, well, you know, my parents spanked me, and I turned out okay." Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want this to sound like a parent bash because they were doing the best that they could, but at the same time, I have made a conscious decision to not do that. There's no place for fundamentalist indoctrination in the raising of a child, and so I I would definitely go back in time and undo that. And undo that, yeah, because. I honestly don't know the amount of damage that is probably subconscious. Like, you know, like I've told my wife, it's like, we'll have a disagreement about something or the way I'll respond to a certain situation will be, you know, ridiculous or at the very least not loving and empathetic, you know, and I'll, I'll look at it afterwards and I'll be like, I know exactly why I responded that way. (laughs) Mm.
1: Yeah, because you yeah. you got your brain wired a certain way in your childhood and now you're having yes. to unwire it and yes. rewire it in a new way. And that's difficult.
0: Yeah, it's very hard to unlearn those reflexes. All right, so I've got a question for you. In this episode, especially, you've described your journey away from faith as one that was based in never really feeling certain and never really being convinced that what you believe was true. What advice would you give to other people in a similar place that might struggle with responding to Christians who challenge their deconversion with the response that they never really were Christians because that's a common thing the pundits the Christian pundits will talk about deconstruction and they'll say well these people were never Christians you know so how would you respond to someone who's struggling with that right how to respond to it
1: that's a great question when I started hearing that response, never directly to me, because I didn't really engage with people that way, but I heard it on podcasts and YouTube videos and things. It, it always made me feel bad. Like it invalidated my experience inside the church and my whole journey out of it. Just that one sentence made me feel like none of it mattered because I was never really a Christian. Right. But honestly, it's something that I embrace now. So at one point I was asked to be interviewed for a YouTube channel. And I declined because I told him, I told the interviewer that I was never really a true Christian. I never really believed it. And so my story wouldn't be very interesting. Hmm. And he insisted he still wanted to talk to me because every story is valid. And he said that my experience would resonate with somebody and he wanted to reach everybody. I still declined because I didn't want to be on YouTube <laughs> This <laughs> was before the podcast and everything. Yeah, yeah. But now that I've been involved in this community for a while, I have to say that the never a real Christian bunch is underrepresented. There are lots of people who are never real Christians who left, but we don't hear from them in in podcasts in the arena of, you know, deconstruction. Right. The ones who were casual nominal Christians, they typically don't have a voice after they leave. They just go on with their lives. Their lives aren't really that different. But it, it's still hurtful. Even if you were a half believer, <laughs> a nominal Christian or a doubter, you know, for most of your life, weren't you still pressured to believe this dogma? didn't you still have a belief system imposed on you since your birth? Some of you were even threatened with eternal punishment for unbelief or threatened with being ostracized and cut out from your family. Didn't you have it drilled into your head that to doubt is foolish? Because I know I did. And that is damaging. And so we had our own struggles. We're a different group from like you, Phil, and most of the people who are in this community of deconstruction who are vocal, But then there's a whole big mass of us who are still trying to recover from all that damage of the years of struggling to believe something that we just were not convinced of.
0: Yeah, it's almost even more complicated than someone who is wholeheartedly brainwashed like I was.
1: Yeah, you're blissfully ignorant of the cognitive dissonance.
0: Right. You had a rational perception of like some of this doesn't make sense. But then you also had the thing of I'm a kid. I have no choice but to believe this. So how do you how do you reconcile those two things? Like, right.
1: And so I think that our experiences should not be discounted uh, just because we were never true Christians, because the religion still affected us in sort of a different way than other people. But yeah. But it did.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you think it's even a valid thing to say to someone you were never really a Christian because no one can even agree on what a Christian is. The evangelicals have one, here's what yeah. a Christian, like my parents would say right. Catholics, Catholics are Christian. Christian. So a Catholic who deconverts, they would just say, oh, who cares? Like you weren't a Christian to begin with. So you were going to hell before yeah. and now you're still going to hell. So
1: that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. There's a whole range of people who would call themselves Christian, but then they would point at each other and say, no, you're not a Christian. My childhood best friend, she's studying to become a priest. And when I talked to her on the phone about my unbelief, she is happy that I'm an unbeliever because it makes me happy. She's like, God does not care if you believe in him. And I was like, what? Mind exploding, what (laughs) do you mean? And she's like, God just wants you to be happy, to transcend yourself and to find awe and inspiration in something. And I told her that I find that in the universe. And she's like, well, that's perfect. You know, she doesn't believe in hell. She doesn't even know if she definitely believes that Jesus was resurrected. Like my parents would say she's not a Christian.
0: Right, what kind of priest is this? Uh, Episcopalian. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. That's a valid question. Yeah. Do you think I was a true Christian? I mean, sorry. Do you think I was a Christian?
0: So what's funny is my, my programming would say, no, that you, you just were a name only Christian. You were just, yeah, you were doing it because your parents did it. And like, I mean, I don't know how many times I heard as a kid, Hey, you have to make this decision for yourself. This isn't your parents' religion. I decided quote unquote for myself when I was four years old. I have a 3-year-old and a 5-year-old. They can barely decide what shoes they're going to put on. Right. How are you going to decide your eternal destiny like at 4 years old, you know? So, I find the idea of a real Christian to be like the most condescending response to deconversion and deconstruction. Yeah. Who the fuck are you to tell me what a real Christian is and for me, of course, I can say I was in this shit since I was mm-hmm. in the womb, you know, and I know the Bible better than, than you do, and I'll run circles around you. So don't tell me that I wasn't really in it. But then that's why I asked the question like, for you, you would probably not even have any qualms about saying, oh, I, I was never really a Christian. But that doesn't, <clears throat> like you said, it doesn't mean that you didn't experience the same manipulation and yeah. mindfuck, you know, that I did a different level because i resisted it because you resisted it like actively resisted it and tried to fight against it i never thought about that
1: well so yeah subconsciously fighting like i did want to believe right but i didn't know how that was hard i felt like i was always fighting a battle and that i could never win and i remember thinking i would never be able i would never know if it was true or not i thought i would just die not knowing right and that i had to find some way to have some faith Luckily, I found out that's not true and that you can falsify it. Right. Would you say that I was a Christian?
0: Then no. Then I would have said, oh, no, she didn't believe it. So she didn't really believe it. So she's not. Okay.
1: So even though I was going to church every week and giving them my money.
0: Oh, no. And I would use the Bible. You said I
1: was not a Christian.
0: Yeah. Because I would have used the Bible where it says, oh, the devil believes in God.
1: Oh, yeah. you think I'm the devil?
0: Yeah. So you're comparing
1: me to the devil. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, so pastors just always say like the devil knows the Bible better than you do. He proved it, you know, when he tempted Jesus, you know, he knew the scriptures, you know, so just because, you know, the Bible doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. You know, this is why I was going forward for every freaking altar call every time. Cause I was like, God damn it.
1: You know, I kind of think this is why I like focusing on logical inconsistencies and biblical contradictions and things that you can find in the religion that falsify it. Yeah. Because then it doesn't matter if I was a Christian or not.
0: Right. Like you,
1: People can say like, oh, you were never a real Christian. That's why you're not a Christian. And I can be like, actually, I'm not a Christian because of this huge list of issues right. with your religion. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. It's not my fault these things are here.
0: All right. Well, that was that was pretty fun. That was probably our our longest episode. We'll have to do some some editing to. Yeah. People aren't nodding off at this point. We just want to. I mean, wrap up this season by saying again, thanks to everybody for listening. This has been a really fun first season. We're looking forward to the second season of you know getting better at, at some things and hopefully getting more consistent in releasing you know episodes. And- yeah,
1: it's hard. We both work full-time and we both have kids yeah. and extracurriculars and other yeah. hobbies.
0: Yeah, other <laughs> other wildness so it's yeah. hard so but but we appreciate everyone that's been listening and we hope that you will stick around. For season two, again, like I said, if you have topic ideas that you'd like to hear us discuss on season two, send them in via uh, email or Facebook page or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. We're both going to be hopefully doing some blogging in the off season. You're much better at writing (laughs) for your blog than I am. So, but you can follow uh, Susie's blog is flawedtheology.com. And then mine is philqmusings.wordpress.com.
1: You want to hear something funny? Hmm. When I first named my blog, I wanted it to be called Bad Theology. But when I went to go register that domain name, it was for sale for like three thousand uh, dollars. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not doing that. Let's mm. let's go with I went in the thesaurus and I like typed in bad and I was like, right. let's go with mm, flawed. That sounds flawed
0: good. <laughs> and that worked out really well too, because like flawed theology is like a whole different thing than bad theology. Flawed is about logic and reason. And True. That that was kind of accidental. I pro- thought made. bad
1: was more like cool sounding i don't know
0: right yeah yeah so a couple quick announcements to um next season we're hoping to launch some new features we've got a couple of ideas uh, about what we're going to do like breaking up the show into like little segments and since susie likes to make little interludes and things like that i'm hoping i'm going to rope her into some foolishness with the segments you know coming up with some cool transitional oh, foolishness cool. yeah i'm sure you'll love that and we're, you know, we're toying with some other ideas of like video and, and YouTube channel and stuff like that, but we're not sure about that yet. So I don't know if we'll, I want my
1: face. On there. <laughs> we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, but the thing we do want to announce is that we are planning to start a Facebook group, which is different than a Facebook page, um, just as a way to connect with people and actually have discussions in the group setting. So that will be coming very soon. Stay tuned for that. We'll be sending out. Uh, links probably in all the other <laughs> deconversion groups that we're in so people can get connected with us yeah. there and stay connected during our little break well cool well thanks again everybody for listening to the flow of theology podcast i'm phil and
1: i'm Susie. tune in next season where we will continue to tackle the question if your theology were wrong wouldn't you want to know
0: we want to thank everybody who sent in questions and in case you're wondering why we didn't give names we realized that we neglected to get permission to use people's names on the episode so to protect people's privacy because everyone's journey is a little bit private and may or may not want to be scattered across the internet we just made all the questions anonymous so thank you again for everyone who sent in a question we appreciate it Follow us at the flawedtheologypodcast.com and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Rate and review us on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might find us. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.
1: So, next question was released. I'm going to start that over. <laughs> was really <laughs> fantastic all right okay. shit you know i
0: ooh, okay what were you even saying there because you just said <laughs> Lee. what is that seems like you were gonna say a french word we are about to get really cultural i
1: was gonna say it was leaving religion but i i just said the re part and then the lee part and i mixed them
0: it's fantastic all right. my parents would say that i was rebellious but you know like the worst thing i ever did was like Find an empty trailer in the woods and and draw on the windows with lipstick that was in the trailer. It's like, like, oh, you, know, like, you want to you know. know what I did once? Oh yeah, let's hear one of your. Sins. Oh,
1: in my church bathroom, I took the the liquid soap pump and I pumped soap all over everything.
0: <laughs> you devil!
1: I know. I think that was like eleven.